You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Hey, did you guys know about Snack? I didn't know about Snack. I didn't hear about Snack until last week. I mean, I guess it makes sense that I didn't know about Snack because Snack isn't for me. You could say I'm not smack dab in the middle of Snack's target demographic. Snack is a hookup app for Gen Z singles, funded by Gen Z investors, founded by Kim Kaplan, who spent a decade as an executive at Plenty of Fish, which is a dating app popular with single Gen Xers and divorced baby boomers. People born between 1997 and 2012 are members of Gen Z, but limiting snack to people between the ages of 10 and 25, which is Gen Z's age spread right now, that wouldn't make much sense unless snack was a dating app for youth pastors, in which case it would make perfect sense. But Kaplan and her team didn't want to create a dating app for youth pastors. They wanted to create a dating app for youths, for the TikTok generation. So at Snack, instead of creating a lengthy profile, blah, 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 words, 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 and posting your face pics, which are basically tin types at this point, and then spending the night swiping right or left while you watch Matlock and Sip Metamucil, Snackers post dynamic and flashy TikTok-style videos. I don't know if the people on Snack are called Snackers, but I'm gonna call them Snackers. Anyway, after a snacker uploads a video, the algorithm goes to work. Culture reporter Elizabeth DeLuna wrote for Mashable earlier this year when Snack launched, the algorithm goes to work identifying video elements like skiing, dogs, and fishing to learn what you like and surface compatible matches. DeLuna gave Snack a try and the video element really worked for her. Quote, after watching a guy I'd usually swipe left on, boldly twerk upside down on a wall at a house party, I thought, yeah, I'd grab coffee with him. But snackers don't swipe left or right on each other. Back to DeLuna's report, you flick up and down your feed to revisit profiles you've already seen, and you tell someone you're into them by tapping a heart button. Try swiping right or left, and the app will cheekily remind you that swiping is old AF. Old things, old as fuck things. Snack, whose slogan is not your parents' dating app, Snack does not like old things. And Snack doesn't care who knows that they don't like old things, like swiping or still images or people born before 1987. Because as it turns out, Snack isn't just targeted at elderly Gen Zers and younger millennials, aka people between the ages of 18 and 35, At Snack, no one born before 1987, no one over the age of 35 need apply, which is how I, someone who was born just a little bit before 1987, it's how I found out about Snack because somebody sued Snack. Jeffrey Taylor of Bakersfield, California, suing Snack for age discrimination according to a report in Courthouse News Taylor, who is 37, tried to sign up for Snack in September, but when he entered his personal information, including his age, he got a message telling him that 100% of Snacks are under 35. In a subsequent message, Snack told Taylor, 
Looks like you're past our sell-by date. Huh. Taylor is now seeking $4,000 for himself and $4,000 for every other wannabe snacker out there who was told cheekily that they weren't snacks because they were past snacks sell-by date. Reading about Taylor's experience on snack really took me back. Not a back in the sense that it shocked me, but back in time, back down memory lane. I remember moving to Seattle decades ago, and there was a bar I went to a lot when I first got to town. I was 26 years old when I arrived. I did shows in this bar when I was in drag. I picked up boys in this bar when I wasn't in drag. I had a good time. But about three years after I got to Seattle, when I was closing in on 30, I started to feel a little out of place because I was basically aging out of this bar. I was aging out of its demo, which was fine because I had plenty of other bars to go to and plenty of other boys to choose from. And it was in one of those other bars that I met Terry a few months after I turned 30. Dating and hookup apps, I think, are a lot like bars. They're basically today's singles bars, today's cruisy bars, today's pickup joints. And bars and pickup joints, like dating apps, have demos. They attract a certain crowd. The bar I stopped going to attracted a younger crowd. It marketed itself to a younger crowd. And as I got a little older, I felt a little out of place and went elsewhere. So as far as I'm concerned, personally, elderly Gen Zers and youthful millennials can have their own dating app that's marketed to them, that attracts them, and that's meant for them. But discrimination is wrong. Telling people they're past their sell-by dates is wrong. It's an asshole thing to do. Also illegal in California. We'll see what happens after the conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court takes a hatchet to anti-discrimination statutes this session. But for right now, it's illegal in California to do what Snack has done. Businesses that are open to the public have to be open to all members of the public. The roads, highways, airports, fire departments, schools, public health agencies, sewer and water systems, the courts that enforce patents and copyright, everything that goes into creating and sustaining a society in which someone is free to open and profit from a business, the public, all the public pays for all that infrastructure with our tax dollars. And if for no other reason than that, Every member of the public should be able to walk into your business or post a profile pic to your dating app, order a cake from your bakery, a drink at your bar, something to eat at your lunch counter. Which brings me back to the bar I stopped going to as I was closing in on 30. They didn't turn me away. The doorman didn't look at my ID one night and tell me I was past my sell-by date. I wasn't escorted out. I self-sorted out which is what most people do when it comes to bars and clubs and dating apps. In principle, legally, someone over 35 should be able to twerk upside down on a wall at a house party and post the video to snack. In practice, someone over 35, or God forbid, someone my age, probably isn't going to do that. But having to put up with a few geezers on your dating app, in your club, is a small price to pay to live in a society where people aren't being discriminated against on the basis of their age or their sex or their national origin or their sexual orientation or their faith or on any other basis. All that said, when the right stuff, a dating app for Trumpers launched earlier this year, 
the dating app funded by Peter Thiel, the gay libertarian, billionaire, anti-democratic crypto fascist. People were quick to note that Thiel himself couldn't post an ad on the right-wing dating site, the right stuff that he was underwriting because it was for straight singles only. And I think it's to the credit of gays and lesbians and other queers out there that there hasn't been a class action lawsuit targeting the right stuff. It's almost as if gay people took one look at the right stuff and thought, they can have it. We don't want any part of that. I think that's the same reaction that most people over the age of 35 probably had to snack, which is why it took almost a year for me to hear about it. All right, a quick word. I want to say something about the state of the world. I like to keep things light at the top of this show. People listen to sex advice podcasts for a break from the news, but I don't want to seem obtuse, which is why I want to acknowledge that right now, it's almost as if everywhere you turn, a new group of Americans are under attack, or it's a new attack on an old group of Americans. Jews, gays and lesbians, Asians, women, black people, trans people, immigrants, and you know what? Here's the thing. If you add up everyone in America under attack from the right right now, we're the majority. And if we all turn out to vote in massive numbers, if we vote in solidarity with each other, we can overcome the structural advantages baked into our system that are right now benefiting white supremacists and anti-Semites and misogynists and the GOP. The midterms are a couple of weeks away. I hope you're registered to vote and I hope you're planning to vote. I hope you're planning to vote like lives are on the line because they are. All right, coming up on today's show, lots of your Q, tons of my A, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, more Q, more A, no ads, and Scream Queen Kate Siegel joins me to talk about her upcoming TV projects, her Halloween plans, and to give me some advice on how to watch the gory horror movies that I've never been able to sit through. Also, we have a new episode of Sex and Politics coming out this week. Sex and Politics, of course, is a special bonus podcast exclusively for Magnum Savage Lovecast subscribers. This week in Sex and Politics, New York Times bestselling author James Kerchick joins me to talk about his latest book, Secret City, The Hidden History of Gay Washington. Watch for that new S&P in your feeds on Thursday, Magnum subs. And if you're not yet a Magnum subscriber, become one today at savage.love. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode of The Savage Lovecast is brought to you by omgyes.com, a website devoted to women's pleasure. Check it out and get a discount when you go to omgyes.com savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, et al., 35-year-old heteroflexible woman living on the East Coast. I was invited to this group sex thing with four other people, and I was honestly really looking forward to it. We've been sharing dirty messages and news leading up to it. So, yeah, I was all in until one person disclosed that they are positive for herpes. Now, I'm a Magnum subscriber, so I know that herpes is very common, and I truly believe in my heart of hearts that it needs to be destigmatized. However, it did give me pause. And I feel bad that it did. I know myself and I know my very diagnosed anxiety 
So I worry that in the moment and in many moments after, I'm going to be concerned about contracting it. Does it make me a bad person if I cancel? And, like, how do I get past the stigma and be the sex-positive person that I hope to be? Canceling does not make you a bad person. It does kind of indicate a certain irrationality. Uh, you're not being entirely logical. You were all set to go to this group sex thing with four other people until one of them did the right thing and disclosed a sexually transmitted infection. If that person had done the wrong thing, if that person had not disclosed that, and there's some argument out there whether people with herpes and HPV really do need to disclose, particularly in group sex environments or when it comes to casual or anonymous sex, setting that discussion and controversy aside, if they hadn't disclosed, you would have gone. And you say you're a Magnum subscriber, so I'm going to assume you've listened to a lot of conversations we've had about herpes. And one of the things I keep saying and keep bringing up is that if you're going to go to orgies, if you're going to go have group sex, if you're going to have a lot of casual sex partners, anonymous sex partners, multiple sex partners, you are volunteering to be exposed to herpes and HPV, and you are likely to be exposed to other sexually transmitted infections. You should get tested and you should advocate for your own safety. You should ask people about their STI status. You should share your own. You should use condoms, other barriers, if you're very, very concerned. And then when someone says to you, well, I have herpes, I haven't had an outbreak in this many years. I'm not currently symptomatic. I'm taking valacyclovir, which makes my outbreaks uh, less frequent, less severe, and it makes me less likely to pass herpes along. If you can't hear that from somebody and then feel confident being sexual with them, how is it that you can be confident or feel comfortable being sexual with a group of people who may or may not have herpes, may or may not have disclosed it, may or may not even know they have herpes or HPV and need to disclose it. That's where I think there's some cognitive dissonance there. That's where I think the tension is. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you are a person with some hangups and prejudices and maybe some more thinking to do about the cost-benefit analysis here, the risks, the rewards. The rewards of group sex, if group sex turns you on, are obvious. The risks are inherent. If you're going to, you know, cancel on this plan because one person disclosed to you that they have herpes and, you know, they didn't disclose to you that I'm currently having a major outbreak and I'd like to come to this group sex session, I'm sure if they were having an outbreak, they wouldn't come they wouldn't want to put you at risk. Obviously, they don't want to put you at risk. That's why they disclose they have herpes. They would skip it. So, But if you cancel on this one because this person is unlikely to infect you under those circumstances because they're not having an outbreak right now and maybe you'll use condoms and whatever else and then go find another group of people for you to explore this fantasy with or have this experience for the first time or again with, odds are... Yeah, that's a self-selected group of people who are interested in group sex, interested in anonymous or casual sex. Odds are there will be people at the party that you run to, appointment in Sahara style, who have herpes and either didn't tell you 
so you didn't cancel, or didn't know, and so didn't tell you, so you didn't cancel. That's what I think you need to think about here and work on a little bit. If you're the kind of person who's going to have group sex, you need to be the kind of person who's comfortable risking being exposed, at the very least, to herpes and HPV. If not, ultimately, if you keep having group sex again and again and again and again, contracting those very easily contracted and in most people's lives, very minor chronic health conditions, sexually transmitted infections. Hi, Dan, 26-year-old woman, straight, living in Arizona. I just recently broke up with my boyfriend of about five years. He was a very dedicated partner. You know, I never had any doubts about him loving me. You know, I obviously I have insecurities, but I, I never thought that he thought I was like ugly or anything like that or unattractive. He frequently would just say like, you're so beautiful, you could be a model, you know, blah, 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 things like that. But me personally, I mean, I think I have body dysmorphia. When I look in the mirror, I just see this ugly person. And I'm genuinely concerned that I'm not going to be able to find another person that loved and appreciated me the way he did. Or or more so, I'm afraid that I'm gonna not going to be able to find another serious, loving relationship where I get the love and, I guess, security that I need. I'm genuinely worried. He was my first real serious relationship that I've ever been in. And now that we're not together anymore, it's, the wound is still very fresh. And it's just a major anxiety I have. I'm scared to kind of get back out there and just, you know, get invested in somebody. And then they think that some part of my body looks ugly or something. Or, you know, it's just, I'm scared. I don't know. I guess I'm just asking, how do you, how have you ever dealt with something like that? I mean, what do you think? I mean, am I ever going to be able to find love again in a relationship that I feel confident in? Look, I don't want to make any promises that I can't keep and the universe might not keep. You will probably find another partner. Will you find another partner who comes through with the compliments at the rate that you're previous partner did? I don't know. You're definitely not going to wind up dating someone who hopefully isn't into you. And if you begin to suspect that somebody that you're dating isn't into you, or they tell you that certain parts of your body are ugly, you should definitely break up with that person. That's not somebody you would want to be with, even if you were completely confident, even if you didn't need reassurances, as almost all of us do, even if you didn't have insecurities, as almost all of us do. There's a certain thing that you got used to with your previous romantic partner that you imagine you will need from your future romantic partners, which is praise, compliments, you know, being told that you are not just a a good and wonderful person, but also a lovely and beautiful aesthetic object. And that's not something that's deficient in you or your character. We are all not just people. We are all pieces of meat. We're all also objects in this world. And on some level, we want our sexual and romantic partners to appreciate us, not just as, you know, brains, not just as moods and feelings and thoughts, but also as, you know, our physical selves as well. So I am by no means criticizing you for being clear about what it is that you want. And what you want is not 
uncommon. You may need it to an extent that others don't need it as much. And just as long as you're clear about that, just as long as you know, you're meeting your own needs and your selection of partners. It's not just about finding someone who will meet your needs. It's about not settling for someone who doesn't meet this particular need you have for this kind of, you know, a relationship that's a little bit of a complement-based economy. You know, there's a transactional aspect to all relationships and a part of what you're going to need in the transactions, you know, emotional, sexual, relational that you have with future partners is compliments, you know, reassurances. Yes, you look good. You are hot. I am attracted to you. Those are not unreasonable things for you or anyone else to want to hear from your sexual romantic partner. Curious why it is you dumped the guy who came through with, I mean, obviously, you know, somebody who was all the compliments you needed to hear, but in other ways fell short or in every other way fell short is not somebody that you can make a life with or need to spend more than five years with (laughs) five years is a long enough time to figure out whether you want to be with somebody for the next five decades. Uh, But you never mentioned why you broke up with your past boyfriend, but yeah, like, Oh, I feel a little, you know, I want to say you'll find it, but some people never find it. Some people never find it once. So odds are you will find this again because what you're looking for is not, uncommon or unreasonable, but there's a chance you won't find love again. There's always a chance that we won't, when we end a relationship, find someone else or someone better, but odds are good that you will find this again. And what you're hoping to find in your next relationship, some praise, compliments, reassurances, a guy who's aware because you've told him that you're a little insecure and it helps for you to hear that he finds you attractive and it wouldn't help for you to hear what it might be about you that he doesn't find attractive. Hopefully you'll meet somebody with a high enough emotional intelligence that he wouldn't say those things out loud, even if he thought them. Yeah, you're likely to find it. I guess guess I'm just uncomfortable like telling you you will find it. You're highly likely to find that again. So get out there and look. And if you find yourself dating somebody who realizes that you have insecurities and attempts to manipulate them by sandpapering them, by putting you down, by insulting you, obviously not anybody you would want to be with, even if you were a thousand percent confident kind of person, but that's particularly someone like you wouldn't want to be with somebody like that for five minutes. So run, 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 run. If that's the next guy you meet and hold out for the guy who can come through with the compliments you need and deserve. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Honey, you are so amazing. And you don't let the world know about all the work you've been doing and the stuff you've been selling. I would take it on for you, but I'm busy. Just let Squarespace help. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website. Engage with your audience and sell anything. Your products, content you create, and even your time. You guys, mailing lists are hard. Do not want to try and organize this aspect of your promotion yourself. Squarespace does it perfectly. Get the right message to the right people, collect email addresses through your website, and send subscribers the information that they care about most with unique mailing lists. What about videos? Create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story and grow your audience and drive sales. 
And it's time for social time. Display posts from your social profiles on your website. Automatically push website content to your favorite social media channel so your followers can share it too. This is all just the tip of the iceberg. If you want your website to work well and look beautiful, Squarespace has you covered. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We like it when you do this. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hey, Dan, I'm calling from Canada and I'm kind of in a situation that I don't know what to do. Um, my partner of four years who I live with, no kids, I just found out that he's uh, been cheating and had an affair for the past year while we've been together. The girl messaged me and told me about it. I guess he tried to break things off or something. Then she got mad and decided to tell me. We'd have issues when we first started dating where he was entertaining a woman right away when we first started dating. And I, I chose to forgive him because I figured it was early on in the relationship and we were still just getting to know each other and, you know, he promised it would never happen again. And then, like, throughout the four years that we've been together, there's been, you know, little things that come up that kind of have made me second guess if he's being truthful with me and, you know, he's made some some mistakes that have just always given him the benefit of the doubt. He's apologetic and when I confronted him about it, he, you know gave me all the details right away and of course I, I had talked to her already so I was asking him pointed questions and you know he was lining up for the most part with what she had said he wants to do whatever it takes to make things work I mean we have a couple's counselor who we'd seen off and on not for issues in the relationship but more so just because we wanted to have a really strong relationship because I thought this was my forever person <sighs> And so now I just, I don't know what to do because my head is telling me that it's not worth it, but my heart doesn't know what to do. So I just, I need some advice from somebody. Your head knows who your boyfriend is. Your heart wishes he was someone else. Your heart wishes that he was someone that you could trust, someone who deserved your trust. And maybe, you know, in other areas, in other respects, he is someone that you can trust. Maybe financially, he's very responsible. You can trust that he's not going to run up a bunch of credit card debt behind your back. And you can trust him when he says he's going to take care of something around the house or run an errand or be somewhere where you need him to be. Maybe in every other way, this guy can be trusted. But clearly, he can't be trusted when it comes to sexual fidelity, when it comes to the monogamous commitment that he made to you. You say that at the very beginning of the relationship, he was messing around with or pursuing some other woman. I assume since that clocked in as a betrayal that needed your forgiveness, that you two had had a conversation prior to him running around or trying to mess around with some other woman about being exclusive. You also say there've been other incidents over the last few years where you had to give him the benefit of the doubt. And now there's this year-long affair, and you know about it not because he told you about it. You know about it because she told you about it. And I don't want to pour poison in your ear, but you have to, on some level, think, assume, wonder whether there aren't, I'm sitting here wondering whether there aren't 
other women, other incidents that you don't know about because he didn't tell you about them. And the other women that he might have messed around with, had a one night stand with, or even had an extended affair with a year long affair in a four year relationship. That's major. He didn't break things off with them or they weren't upset when he did. And so you didn't find out in the same way you found out about this woman from this woman. I don't think necessarily you have to do what your head is telling you to do. And what your head is trying to do here is protect your heart from future heartbreak. Your head knows who he is. He's shown you who he is since the start of this relationship. And your head is worried. Like, listen to how your voice breaks. Listen to how your heart aches. Your head is trying to tell you to break up with this guy because your head wants to protect your heart. Sorry, I'm anthropomorphizing all of your organs right now. But you don't want to break up with him. Some part of you wants to stay with him. You love him. And it may be that you love not who he is, but the idea of him, who you hoped he might be, who he lied to you and told you he was. And you're still, you made a huge emotional investment in this guy. And you're hoping that he might... If not, be that guy, because he hasn't been that guy, become that guy. And it's not true that all cheaters cheat again, but cheaters are likelier to cheat again in the future. And it seems to me that if you're going to listen to your heart and try to make this work and stay in this relationship, you need to meet your head halfway and you need to radically adjust your expectations about what you're likely to get from him so that if it happens again, if you do stay together for the next four decades, five decades, if he is your forever person, that if he should cheat on you again, you are less devastated, not because he had a pass to go cheat on you, not because you had an open relationship or a DADT arrangement, but because you knew that, it could happen again because it had happened at least once, possibly twice. If you count what happened at the beginning of the relationship, it's happened at least once or twice before. And so there's a pattern here. And if you can't not give him a sign off on it, not give him a pass, but if you can't adjust your expectations to protect your own heart, if you can't see yourself staying in this relationship and this happening again, and not being completely destroyed and devastated by it, then you need to listen to your head and end it. But if because he's lovely and trustworthy in every other respect, and you can manage somehow to attach less importance to fidelity, to sexual exclusivity, and not just sexual exclusivity, but emotional exclusivity. Because if you had a year-long affair with a woman who was then so upset when he broke it off that she contacted you. That wasn't just a physical thing. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of hope for this relationship uh, unless you can make that shift. Otherwise you're condemning yourself to being in a relationship that makes you miserable, being in a relationship where you're constantly paranoid that he's doing what he's demonstrated to you, that he's capable of doing what he's already done. And that is cheating on you not just sexually, but emotionally as well. If you can see yourself getting to a place where that matters less to you, where that is less devastating, that betrayal, maybe you could stay in this relationship. If you can't see yourself getting to a place like that, where you're at peace with who your boyfriend is and no longer 
hoping that he might be or become someone else, you could make this work, but it will be work. This episode is brought to you by OMG Yes. Those who continually explore ways to experience and create more pleasure for themselves and their partners are five times likelier to be happier in their relationships. But you know, life can get in the way. Stress, family, busy schedules, up and downs, so much conspires to separate us from prioritizing pleasure and intimacy. OMGYes.com is designed to keep women, men, and couples inspired to increase their intimacy and pleasure solo and together. It's a beautiful and intuitive website where you explore new techniques from the largest ever representative research studies into women's pleasure. This is peer-reviewed, published research, not BS sex tips. You'll see hidden details in hundreds of clarifying animations and tasteful videos where women show techniques on their bodies as comfortably as if they were sharing a recipe. A study out of Indiana University's School of Medicine showed using OMGS for a month had significant large effect increases in pleasure and orgasm solo and with partners. And 95% of users experienced new kinds of pleasure they'd never felt before. L calls OMG Yes the best gift you could ever give yourself. GQ said both of you will reap the benefits. And Men's Health called it remarkable and useful, marvelously in-depth. Get a discount at omgyes.com slash savage. That's omgyes.com slash savage. Show your support for the Lovecast and your relationship by going to omgyes.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 39-year-old cisgendered bisexual woman in the Mid-Atlantic, and I am a couple months removed from an affair. It was fiery. It was amazing. It ended really badly um, with my husband finding out and then sharing the information that he found with my affair partner's wife. We had discussed starting a life together, um, but ultimately decided uh, after we were found out to separate and try to rekindle and salvage our uh, individual relationship. My question is, my husband and I have improved greatly our relationship. Um, we've both taken steps to work on the issues that we were having. We've worked on forgiveness, and things are much, much better. The question is, I still think of my affair partner really regularly. Sometimes I do the Google searching and the social media searching, and I do the what if. And I want to know if this is normal. Is this symptomatic of maybe I made a bad decision? Or is this just the normal thing that happens after any kind of breakup? There are what ifs and regrets after any sort of breakup. And there are what ifs and regrets after any sort of whatever the opposite of a breakup might be. You're staying with your husband. You may have regrets and struggle with what ifs about the decision to salvage your relationship, to save your marriage, to work on your marriage, which it sounds like whatever work you're doing is working. You say your marriage is much improved. But if you left your husband or your affair partner, you would have regrets and what ifs about having left your husband. Regrets and what ifs are a part of every relationship. Just as I'm sure uh, on your wedding day, you couldn't have anticipated 
the low point that your marriage got to, if indeed the affair was sparked by or the result of some low point that you were at in your marriage, you couldn't have anticipated that. Same thing with your affair partner. You know, it was fiery and passionate and amazing. It was also how many months old? How long had it been going on? You know, game that out five, 10 years into the future. You can't know where you would have been with your affair partner. You might five years after ending your marriage to be with your affair partner, five years after your affair partner ending his marriage to be with you, you could be in a relationship with your one-time hot, fiery, passionate affair partner that isn't meeting your needs emotionally, sexually, or socially. You could be married to your affair partner five years from now and be struggling with regrets about the relationship, the marriage you ended so you could run off with him. So that's something you have to bear in mind. And it's something that it's helpful to bear in mind and try to keep in the front of your mind that whatever choice you made, whatever choice you make, you will have on your plate a certain amount of what ifs, certain pile of what ifs, and a certain number of regrets. There are no choices that we make in our lives, particularly enormous choices about who we're going to be in relationship with that don't come bundled with those sorts of feelings. So you shouldn't attach too much meaning to those feelings of what if, those feelings of regret, because whoever you're with, you're going to have those feelings. And I would ask you to give some thought as to whether you really miss the side piece, you really miss your affair partner, or if what you miss is the excitement, the passion, what was fiery about it, the new relationship energy. What you miss about your affair sometimes has very little to do with your affair partner and a lot to do with just the fact of it being an affair. And if missing that kind of excitement, that kind of danger, that kind of risk really weighs on you, well then missing that kind of passion, danger, risk, that fieriness is a threat to your marriage. And it is something that if you're in a new place with your husband where you can be honest with each other, you should be able to talk about. Not necessarily, can I have permission? Can we have an open relationship now and I can get these needs for excitement, danger, risk, novelty met elsewhere? Uh, if the relationship isn't open, if you guys have recommitted to each other and recommitted to monogamy, then you need to commit to finding a way for the two of you to create that kind of excitement and passion uh, and fieriness and amazingness together. That means you two have to figure out, you know, in a way, that affair that you were on was an adventure that you were on on your own. You missed that sense of adventure, danger, risk, passion. You and your husband need to figure out how you two can have adventures together rather than you running off behind his back and having an adventure on your own. Hey, Dan, I got a hymen conundrum here for you. I am a bi-cis female in my early 30s uh, calling from a mountain town. I started a relationship with my uh, former medical provider. Yes, I realized that I was her patient. This is fucked up, but we're no longer in that dynamic anymore. She's in her early 30s. Uh, she's straight identified up until this experience with me. Background on her, she's from an uber-Christian family, and before her and I... Uh, she was engaged to a man. She had never had sex, no masturbation, and no orgasm. Since our exploration, we've had frequent sleepovers. She's gotten a tattoo and started using substances and is exploring gay sex. 
our sexual progression has been interesting as we started fingering each other before even kissing. Just started kissing with tongue last week. However, now when we're fingering, I'm causing her pain, even when gentle. Issue here is I think her hymen is still intact, but I don't even know that she knows what a hymen is. So my question for you is how do I pop it and should I pop it? You don't know if she knows what a hymen is and she's a doctor? Really? I'm glad she's not your doctor anymore. You should be relieved she's not your doctor anymore. I can't imagine she's a very good or competent doctor if she doesn't know what a hymen is. Of course, famously, a lot of people make it all the way through medical school without much education about sex, anatomy, particularly female anatomy. So I suppose it's possible if she's a graduate of Brigham Young University's medical school, not to cast aspersions on Brigham Young University's medical school, that she somehow managed to get through med school and her residency and whatever else she did without finding out what a hymen is. But I'm surprised that you were able to ask your doctor out that you can get your finger in her pussy, that you can have frequent sleepovers, that you started with fingering before moving on to tongue kissing, that you're watching her use substances, getting tattoos, that you can have all of these really kind of significant milestone life experiences with this woman and you can't ask her, it seems, whether she knows what a hymen is and whether she may have a thicker one, one that your fingering up to this point hasn't managed to rupture. The hymen is a thin bit of fleshy material that covers the opening of the vaginal canal. In some women, it's very thin. Its presence doesn't mean that a woman is a virgin. Its absence doesn't mean a woman has not had penetrative sex. Some women have thicker hymens than other women. Some women do need to see, in rare cases, a doctor to have the hymen sort of trimmed if it's too thick for penetrative sex to push out of the way or fully rupture. Maybe your doctor is one of those women. Seems to me that that should be something you feel comfortable speaking with your former doctor, current finger friend about, and that she may want to, if she's experiencing pain while you two are being intimate, while you are fingering her vagina, that that's something that you might want to talk to a gynecologist about. And rather than making a plan to get your whole fist in there and rupture her uncooperative hymen, if indeed she even has a hymen, a lot of women uh, as girls, the hymen ruptures all on its own from exercise or famously the example everyone always gives is horseback riding. She may not have a hymen at all for you to push past. It may be that you're being too rough. It may be that she's not lubricated enough, or there could be some other medical issue that's causing her this discomfort during digital penetration. All things you might want to talk about, all things that she might want to explore with her healthcare provider, with her gynecologist. I think that that would be a better plan, you talking with her about it and her talking with her gynecologist about it, than you taking a running leap at her hymen in an attempt to break it as if 
that's the problem. You don't know whether that's the problem or if something more serious is going on here. <sighs> before we get to listener feedback, before we get to your response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Lucy Puddles, Scat Nymph tweets, Anytime you address scat, Dan, it is rife with kink shame. As a longtime listener and sex worker with this niche fetish, I can confirm that many of your listeners have this fetish, and maybe you should pass those questions on to someone for whom scat is not a kink too far. We will keep your tweet on file, Lucy Puddles, scat nymph, and when, not if, but when, this subject floats back up again. I will be up your ass about it. Brian Bow tweets, that's a first at Fake Dan Savage reading from the Bible on the Lovecast. Thanks for the heads up on the Jerry Falwell Jr. doc on Hulu. You are welcome, Brian. But I think there have been other times on this show in the past 850 or so Savage Lovecasts when I've quoted from the Bible. I know I have in the past cited the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I really want to make a poo unto others joke right here or a doo-doo unto others joke right here, but Nancy won't let me. And finally, NIN Girl tweets to the pregnant caller who's liking rough sex, Dan, you buried the lead. Do not engage in choking play when you're pregnant. Choking play always comes with medical risk, which is now a risk for the baby. Another listener, a new mom who, quote, read a lot about fetal development during her pregnancy, wrote in to say, choking is a huge no-no during pregnancy. The fetus is really sensitive to the mother's oxygen supply and can be brain damaged if her airway is restricted. That pregnant caller didn't ask about choking, but mentioned it in a short list of kinky sexual interests. Regular listeners know that choking is a no-no, as far as I'm concerned, all the time. It's dangerous, as Dr. Debbie Herbenick has repeatedly explained on this show, and that literally goes double for pregnant women and pregnant trans and non-binary folks too. I didn't go into my anti-choking spiel on that call, but I should have. Thank you, NIN and new mom for writing in. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, if you want to hear your words rolling around in my mouth, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. This is a response call for episode 834, the caller who was worried about her son's online relationship. I wanted to suggest maybe just asking to meet and talk with this person yourself so you can get a better idea of what's going on. When I was in my mid-20s, I had an online friendship with a boy in his mid-teens. And obviously that's a big old red flag, but it really was just a friendship. We, Despite our age difference, we were more or less in the same place as far as being gay and isolated and trying to deal with all that and come out and figure the whole thing out. And at that time in my life, I really needed him, and I think he really needed me. There was no, there were no nude pictures. There was no talk of ever meeting up. And one day when we were chatting in the little instant messenger, I found myself talking with his mother. And, you know, I had nothing to hide. I told her my deal. I was, I was able to prove my identity to her. And she was very friendly about it, but just let me know that she was keeping an eye on her kid. And that was the end of it. And that, this all happened probably almost 20 years ago, and he and I are still friends on social media. We still never met, and the whole thing was on the up and up, and it was no big deal. So if that would be an option for you, maybe just take the direct route and get an impression of this person for yourself. Hi, Dan. Just finished listening to your latest episode, and I'm a huge fan, and I love what you do. 
but I'm a little worried about the gentleman that you talked to about using the numbing cream before having sex with his partner. I agree with you that generally it wouldn't really be a consent violation, except that actually up to 2 to 3% of people are allergic to topical anesthetics like that. So that would be a really nasty surprise um, for the poor bottom to realize midway through and to have a very itchy situation down there and, God forbid, an anaphylactic reaction. So actually, for medicated creams like that, it probably is best to check or at least let them know what you're planning on using. I think your line of framing it as this is just something I enjoy might be a better way for that to go down rather than saying it's for a medical condition if he's worried about that. This is for the caller who had herpes and didn't know when to disclose. I've had type 1 genitally for 17 years, and I've been a slut here and there throughout that time. Um, I disclose at different times based on how serious it is. If it's casual, I usually do it right up front, sometimes even before we meet and like over text. If I'm pursuing something like a relationship, I'll wait several dates, um, but I'm also not having sex with that person right away. I also find that it's a sorting hat. It was a pattern that I found that guys who blew it off or were eager to have sex were also the ones who didn't want to use condoms. They were the least likely to have been tested or know their status. Um, I've actually found lots of guys who do have it, folks who are self-aware and really on top of their testing status, which is super sexy. And really when it boils down to it, it's just a skin condition. And it's probably kept me from getting other things because I've been so cautious. You got this. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com or you can call us at 206-302-2064. Want some more Savage Love? In this week's column, I tackle questions like, can someone be homosexual and asexual? What the hell does TMFE mean? And could you fuck my pussy? Pretty sure that last question was put to me by a bot and not by a longtime Savage Love reader or Savage Love cast listener. All those questions answered and more in a Savage Love quickies column up now at savage.love slash savage love. Portland, Hump is back for one last encore screening tomorrow night, Hump 2022, October 26th at Revolution Hall. If you like, you can road test your Halloween costume in a sex positive consent aware crowd at Hump. And hey, did you know Hump is one of the few film festivals out there that pays filmmakers? We are, and we do. So get something fun to us by the submission deadline for Hump 2023, which is coming up December 9th, 2022. And you could get a check from us in 2023. Go to humpfilmfest.com submit for all the information you need. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Kate Siegel on Twitter at Kate Siegel. That's letter K, numeral eight, S-I-E-G-E-L. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.